Witness the wet, dead snake. Its long hexagonal pattern weaved around its body like a code for creation. Curled up cold on the newly tarred road. Let us begin with the snake. The fact of death. The poverty of place, of skin and surface. See how the snake is cut in two, its body divided from its brain. Imagine now how it moves still, both sides, the tail dancing, the head dancing. Believe it is the mother and the father. Believe it is the mouth and the words. Believe it is sin and sinner. The tempting, the taking, the apple, the fall. Every one of us guilty. The story of us all. But then return to the snake. Poor dead thing. Forcefully denying the split of its being. Longing for life back as a whole. Wanting you to see it for what it is. Something that loves itself so much it moves across the boundaries of death to touch itself once more, to praise both divided sides equally, as if it was almost easy. Hello, and welcome to Words That Burn, the podcast taking a closer look at poetry. This episode's poem is Torn by Ada Limon. I think the first image of this poem, that wet, dead snake, is incredibly striking. It hooks you right in as a reader, and as I delve deeper into the collection it comes from, Bright Dead Things, it became increasingly clear that jarring, odd imagery like the snake are a trademark of Lamone's poetry. Ada Lamone was recently named the 24th Poet Laureate of the United States. And looking at a lot of her work, it's not hard to see why. She possesses a unique gift when it comes to translating the most metaphysical concepts to a broad audience, without ever pandering or dumbing down her poetry. She finds a way to communicate her message without compromise. In this poem, one of art's greatest themes is explored. Death and the apprehension of the beyond. Using a simple analogy, a bright dead thing. Lamon begins an exploration of what it means to go through death, to experience a separation of states. Binary and opposition are at the heart of this poem, in fact much of Lamon's poetry. The snake itself could be a symbol for any kind of dichotomy. Life and death, emotion and reason, grief and joy. Lamon frequently explores these kinds of binaries. She spends much of the collection tackling grief and new experiences, how we as humans are forced to recalibrate in the face of great change. Be it something as ordinary as moving a great distance, or something as all-encompassing as death. This poem acts as a kind of fusion of all the themes in the collection. The stark and often macabre imagery of the poem cannot help but leave a mark on the reader starting with the very first section I've chosen to analyze. Witness the wet, dead snake, its long hexagonal pattern weaved around its body like a code for creation, curled up cold 
on the newly tarred road. Immediately, the listener is invited to take part in the activity with the speaker, one that is imperative to the poem overall, to witness the wet, dead snake. The objective, almost cold tone of this observation is driven home by the way the speaker goes on to describe the scene in vivid detail. Lamone's use of enjambment, the continuation of a sentence or clause over a line break, makes the poem mimic the weaving she is writing about. The reader has little choice but to follow the speaker through this forensic examination around the scene, just as the pattern wraps around the snake's body. There is a fluidity to the way in which the images slide into one another, the pattern that weaves constantly, simultaneously invoking the image of DNA, the code for creation, and the ancient symbolism of snakes as immortal objects of rebirth. This is one of the first instances of dichotomy. Science versus myth. Reason versus belief. There is a wonderful internal rhyme to the final line of this section. Curled up cold on the newly tarred road. Cold and road bring the enjambment to a satisfying end, and Limon leaves us in little doubt that we are moving on with the punctuation mark at the end. These first four lines are a strong opening and very apt introduction to the way in which Lamone regards poetry. She has spoken at length of the act of decentering in her work. The attempt to remove oneself from the poem, eliminate the lyric I, and focus on something grander. What's more, this invitation to observe reflects the benefit Ada Lamone believes poetry can bring to our lives. Here she is discussing just that in an interview in 2010. It's a place almost to go and quiet yourself and reconnect. And I think that a lot of people have that in religion. And it's almost as if the poets are offering a religion of noticing things or a religion of paying attention. And it's nice that it doesn't have any connotation other than that. You know, just notice, just pay attention. Just be here. That religion of noticing things is a constant in Lamone's work. It is offered to the reader in the next section. Let us begin with the snake, the fact of death, the poverty of place, of skin and surface. See how the snake is cut in two, its body divided from its brain. Imagine now how it moves still both sides, the tail dancing, the head dancing. The calculated tone, let us begin, takes on the air of a call to prayer. In the first verse, the speaker took account of what was there. Now, it is what's not there that matters. Death, poverty of place and skin and surface. Limon is once more creating opposition substance and lack. That language of observation repeats, see how the snake is cut. When I first read the poem, I couldn't separate it from a strong sense of Americana. To me, the snake has been run over and is now there dead 
in the center of some highway. That poverty of surface is the indentation of an event where a wheel crossed a living body. Like that very first line, this cold description is all at once striking without alienating the reader. As she writes, we fall naturally in line with Lamone's meticulous detail noting. Its body divided from its brain is the point at which the speaker begins to draw on the insight gained from the observations it's made. The contemplation of dichotomies is given a physical form. As two once living, beating things are severed from each other. We are invited to leave this macabre reality behind and imagine something different. The speaker begins to imagine a situation in which the snake moves still. It's not immediately clear if this is meant in a spiritual sense, that the snake's essence has continued on, or whether the speaker means that there is another reality in which the snake has not been killed. The verb imagine could refer to either. This is a departure point for the poem as Lamone grants the reader a brief reprieve from all the opposition previous by providing us with the snake completely unified. Both sides, the tail dancing, the head dancing. This version of the snake is whole. Given Lamone's religious beliefs, it is difficult to imagine her referencing some kind of eternal soul. She has described herself as a spiritual atheist, against organized religion, but believing in a sense of connectedness. That sense of connectedness extends between realities and states here. Life and death are connected, as are worlds in which something happened and didn't. If this section was an introduction to the notion of interconnectedness, then the next is a full-blown thesis on it. Believe it is the mother and the father. Believe it is the mouth and the words. Believe it is the sin and the sinner. The tempting, the taking, the apple, the fall. Every one of us guilty. The story of us all. Once again, Limon uses a wonderful sense of rhyming to give us one cohesive image. The poem itself is almost free verse, following no strict rules. But in certain sections, Lamone gives us a rigid rhyming structure so that we might digest the meaning. The image of the snake truly leaves reality behind and becomes, in Lamone's words, the story of us all. The speaker moves from opposing pairs to collocations, series of words that are nearly always found together. Mother father, mouth, words, sin, sinner. The repetition of the word believe is the confirmation that the cold hard facts we were dealing with have been replaced by faith. Science has given way to myth. The refrain of believe it is the serves to re-establish the notion of repeating pattern from earlier in the poem. More than that, it reminded me instantly of the collective responses to prayer in Christian churches, the unified answer to a prompt from the priest. This is no coincidence. 
as the final lines are lifted directly from Christian belief and mythology. The tempting, the taking, the apple, the fall, every one of us guilty. Each of these images is directly referencing the Garden of Eden in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve. It is fired off by the speaker in an almost snapshot sequence, culminating in the concept of original sin. Every one of us is guilty. This Christian rhetoric comes at us one after the other, again and again. To me, it felt inescapable, as though Limon were hammering the point home, showing how something without opposition can be completely constricting. That barrage of imagery is written with such pace that we feel wrapped up in those negative emotions, guilt and shame. The reader is left almost breathless until the speaker offers us salvation in the form of the religion of noticing things. But then, return to the snake, poor dead thing, forcefully denying the split of its own being, longing for life back as a whole, wanting you to see it for what it is, something that loves itself so much it moves across the boundaries of death to touch itself once more, to praise both divided sides equally, as if it were almost easy. You as the reader are invited to ground yourself once more in the concrete nature of observing and reality. The relentless Christian imagery relaxes and enjambment returns to lend a sense of flow to the poem once more. The rolling listed details act almost like soothing running water. This time though, this time though, there is a change in the way in which the scene is depicted. Adjectives and adverbs have found their way into the verse. The snake is now a poor dead thing that has been forcefully split from its being as the speaker feels a range of emotions associated with death. The sadness of it, the unfairness too. The snake is now abruptly possessed by agency. There is a longing in it, a wanting. We learn that it loves itself so much and it wants to be whole again. More than that, it wants us to see it as whole. After so much objectivity followed by shame, these new feelings wash over us as readers. That longing finds itself in us. We are left wondering at what precisely Limon is working at here. The poet herself has been quite candid about the themes that drove the collection. Here she is explaining them in 2018. In the past couple years, it's just we've had such a tumultuous, you know, political uh, dynamic in the country. We've had a me personally, I was going through a lot of fertility issues. My husband and I were trying to get pregnant um, and didn't and coming to terms with that. Um, and then also his father has Alzheimer's. And so he lived with us part of the time. He's now in a home now. But um, so we were dealing with that and what it was to deal with loss and memory and think about aging in a new way. Um, so the book is kind of heavy and those themes are prevalent. This dead thing that loves itself so much 
that it will defy death and logic. To be whole again could be any number of the struggles described by Limon. A woman struggling with fertility, an old man struggling with his identity, a country struggling with its politics. In the truest sense, it is a being seeking to bridge a division. Each one of these pairs exemplify the title of the poem, Torn to a T. The final lines of the poem encapsulate the way in which all this struggle against division can be resolved through acceptance, both of reality and of self. Something that loves itself so much it moves across the boundaries of death to touch itself once more, to praise both divided sides equally, as if it was almost easy. The snake, possessed of boundless compassion for itself, torn though it may be, can defy all natural logic. It does this through radical self-acceptance, praising both divided sides equally. Taking a poetic leap in logic, we see that it will accept the good and bad of its own being. Ada Lamone, through her religion of noticing things, is preaching much the same. Through the speaker's observation of the dead thing, they've recognized that once acceptance is present, becoming whole again looks a simpler affair, as if it was almost easy. So why this poem? Ada Lamone is a poet who has a firm understanding of in-between states. Those little moments we find difficult to define. Through her mining of her own experience, she finds a way to pass that understanding on to her audience. She has been very candid in how the whole collection of Bright Dead Things was written at a time she felt a huge divide in her own life. She had just moved across the country, left her home behind, and was struggling with all the new things that brought. It was a time in American politics that was incredibly conflicted, and is arguably still that today. The strong Americana tones, a snake crushed on a highway is an almost perfect analogy for that struggle in America. On a more personal level, the poem grabbed me immediately, speaking directly to that sense of being torn inside myself. As we move through our own days, we're asked to make a thousand tiny choices, and each one tugs us gently in separate directions. Occasionally, these small decisions are swallowed whole by larger events. Love, grief and loss, to name but a few. Those crossroads moments leave us uncertain as to whether or not we've made the right choice. But this poem reminds us that that tear is temporary and that we are always our whole selves again after time to heal. There is a hope in this poem that things torn apart could find their way back together again. What did you think of this poem? I'd like to point out 
as always, that this is my interpretation, and as such, very much up for debate. If you enjoyed the poem and would like to get in touch, you can do so in a few ways. Find me on Instagram at Words That Burn Podcast. Find me on Twitter at Words That Burn. Take a look down below in the description to find my website, wordsthatburnpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed the episode, please consider giving me a review wherever you listen. Or, better yet, share it directly with a friend you think would enjoy it too. I have an extra request for this episode. Right now, votes are being cast for the Irish Podcast of the Year listeners' vote. If you've enjoyed my podcast for some time, or even for the few minutes today, please consider voting for me at the link down below. This week's episode was written and produced by me, Benjamin Colopy. The music in this week's episode was by Alan Spijak and is used under Creative Commons license. You can find a link to his work in the description. Thank you very much for taking some time out of your day to listen to me. Join me in two weeks' time, where I'll be taking a closer look at the poetry of Robbie Burns.